It's good to be here with you. My friend Kevin Peake, he visits your church every so often. You've heard of Kevin? Some of you, I've got to say to you, I had to say everywhere I go, and when Kevin preaches a sermon, when I preach a sermon in the UK, he says, that'll preach in New Zealand. So you may have heard this before, but it was me that preached it. So I started to get a new sermon for coming to New Zealand. But, um, so he sends his love to you and, uh, and to the folks here too. So shall we look in the Bible? I like reading the Bible. I, I sometimes I say to the pastors, you should always read the Bible at the beginning of the service because that way at least something you said was inspired. <laughs> so this might be, we might peak here. In John's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 27. I read from the New King James Version. And so, so coming into a bit of Jesus speaking and something amazing happening. And Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. Amen. God bless his word. There's only three times the Father's voice is actually heard in the New Testament. Once is at the baptism of Jesus as my beloved Son, and whom I will. It's interesting. It's nothing to do with the sermon. So don't, if you're timing me, don't start yet. This is like introductory comment. There's there's a, a gap between there's a gap between Genesis and Exodus of 400 years. There's also a gap between uh, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and, and Matthew of, of 400 years. For 400 years, God never said anything that was written down until he went to his son's baptismal service and he just couldn't keep quiet. And it's almost when Jesus baptized, he's going, oh, that's my boy, do my well pleased. So if you've ever been to a prize given and your child's got a prize, you feel say, that's my daughter, that's my daughter, and the Father in heaven. And I want to tell you, I don't know what I'm saying. There's some people here, God's saying to you, I'm really proud of you. Because Jesus was baptized. When, when the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, he's not done anything yet. And so it's not what you do that makes the Father proud of you. He just loves you and he's proud of you. So he speaks up. And then there's the time of the transfiguration in here. So here we've got Jesus is speaking and he talks to the Father and they hear him praying and the voice comes from heaven. But People don't hear the voice. They hear a noise. They hear something. And three different answers come. Somebody says, some heard it thunder. Others said, no, it's an angel, but speaking to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, it's the Father trying to speak to you. So here's, here's the question. Who's telling the truth? Now, as I say, you should never answer a question a pastor asks you from a platform because it's always a trick question. And the trick question is, well, they're all telling the truth. They're all saying what they heard. Some heard, I heard thunder. But you, I heard thunder. But you hear, no, I thought it was more like an angel. And I, and I actually think, how could they all hear something different? And I'm going to suggest to you as we look at this, just going to look at those three quickly, that what you hear tells you more about you than it tells you about the noise. 
Because for, to the noise, to some of them, the noise was just a, a scary thing. I mean, what is thunder? I'm not very scientific, but thunder's sort of just a noise up there, isn't it? It's just really a scary thunder and lightning noise. When I was growing up in, in Scotland, because I, I'm from Scotland, this is not an English accent. It's not an impediment, it's an accent. And um, when I was growing up in, in, in Scotland, my mum told me that thunder was God moving the furniture around in heaven. Has anybody else heard that? I was 32 for a thunder. I've got to tell you, it's not true. It's something to do with the atmosphere. But it's sort of like, and, and when I come from Greenland, we, we have lots of rain. I mean, it's like, you know, New Zealand's nice and green. There's a reason for that. It chucks it down the rain a lot. And so in, in Greenland, where I lived, it rained a lot. But we used to say the only difference between summer and winter was in summer, the rain's a bit warmer. <laughs> That's about the best we could do. But we get thunder, and my mum was scared. And she didn't want us kids to be scared, so she tried to pretend she wasn't. But every thunderstorm, she used to close all the curtains, close the blinds, and hide under the bed. So we knew that she was a bit scared of it. And, but it was, and so it's almost like when they say some said it thunder, it's like God's voice and God was speaking was like a scary noise up there somewhere. They didn't know what he was saying, were frightened of him. And to some people, God's voice is a scary thing. When Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were perfect. Can you imagine having getting married and, and sort of a, there's no mother-in-laws. I mean, the first, <laughs> the first wedding, there's, there's, there's no mother-in-laws. It's incredible. They always say behind, behind every successful man is a surprise mother-in-law. But God used to come and walk with them in, in the cool of the evening. They'd walk all night and they'd sit, you know, a bit like on the patio, having a glass of whatever they thought Jesus said they could have at that time of night. And they just, and and, and, and they'd hear God coming. Think, He's God's coming. Let's quickly, let's get everything ready. Except this one day, from the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, when they hear God come, they go and hide. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried hiding from God? Have you ever played hide and seek with children? I used to play hide and seek with my children, but the thing was, they weren't allowed to go out of the room. And it's, finding them was fairly easy, but I've got to tell you, finding me was extremely easy. I couldn't find anywhere to hide. I remember once I was hiding, I hid behind the curtains. And sort of, you could see the curtains went down like that. And my feet are sticking out the end. And sort of, the, we went, and Amy and her friend, they're about four years old. They went hunting for me. And after a while, I think, you should find me. And I, and I peeked around the curtains. And they're sitting watching TV. They forgot they were looking for me. I go, Daddy could have died on there. You know, you could open a cupboard and find a skeleton, you know, hide-and-seek champion 1957s in there. And sometimes I think the church, we go seeking for God, and we forget that's what we're doing. We go watching TV, but, but they're hide-and-seek. God must have known. They're going, oh, I wonder where Adam is. Gabriel, have you, have you, have you seen is it Michael? Have you seen anybody seen that? It's almost like, Adam, where are you? I don't think God says, Adam, where forth art thou, which King James says. He wasn't saying, where are you? I can't find you. He's going, where are you at? Adam, where are you? Where are you up to? Why are you doing this? And something had happened because they'd sinned. They'd done wrong. They'd done exactly what they are told they weren't to do. And they didn't want to see God. And sometimes God's like that. We don't want to see him because we've, not, we've done wrong. We want to hide from him. I often think that when we say, uh, 
you know, if an angel appeared in your house, you know, what's the first thing an angel always says to people? Fear not. Now, why would that be? Well, if you were in your house and a 10-foot tall man with a big sword and glowing in white standing there, his first words to me would be, come back. Or come out from under the bed, you coward. And so, thinking, so it's almost like fear not. And, and for some people, they were saying, actually, God is just a scary noise. And that might be for you. You might think, actually, I'm not sure I'm ready to talk to God face to face. And I'm not sure that his presence is the place I want to be yet. And I want us to transition from being people going on that journey from God's voice being almost distant and scary to being actually close and comforting as a child and see where it was. So that's, that's the first little group. They could come and just not sure, the fear, because um, they've got a broken relationship. But the others, second group of people, said it's an angel. But the angel's talking to him. He's not talking to me. He's talking to him. In other words, there's something supernatural happening here in church, but, but it's, it's not for me. It's for everybody else. But you can sort of... Um, be close to it, but not involved. And there's a story in John chapter 5 of the man at the pool of Bethesda, which I think is an interesting story because it says that he, um, there's this pool of Bethesda, which is bigger than this auditorium, actually, if you've ever been there. It's, it's nice and uh, marble columns and stuff. It's quite cool. And they went on the way up to the, up there the steps going to the temple. And uh, there's a man begging there for 38 years. But here, where the water is, um, the story is this, and it must be true because the Bible says it happened, was every so often an angel would come and trouble the waters. I don't know what he did, he stood his hand, and, and they, but they didn't see the angel, but something happened to the waters. And the first person in the water then got healed. And it must, it must have happened, you know, because um, this man's been there 38 years waiting for it. So I guess, I guess that would have happened. So Jesus goes and talks to this man, who's a beggar, he's got his proper, he'd have like a cloak, what do you call it, like a scarf almost around his, his shoulders, which is given to him officially by the, um, the temple, which meant you're a real beggar, not just somebody's chancing it, but you're, you're licensed to beg. And he's at sort of one of the best spots, right, as you go into the temple. And Jesus goes up to this man, remember this, he's been there for 38 years at a place where he wants to get healed. And Jesus goes up to him. Now, this is a bit more I'm saying. Don't tell God I said this because it's. I think Jesus is a bit rude to him. He goes to the guy who's been waiting there 38 years and says, So, do you want to be healed? I've been here for 38 years, mate. Every day. 38 years I've been here. What do you think? What do you think? 38 years. What else? But let me just go back a little bit. Remember what we said? First person in the water gets healed. If you want to be first one in the water, where would you be sitting? I'd be sitting at the water's edge. In fact, I'd probably get a chair and just sit doing that all day. And thinking, even if I don't see it, my foot will be first in, I'll be getting healed. I think sort of like um, deaf people probably get healed a lot because they could just watch and see and not be distracted. I don't know. So maybe they cleaned up. I don't know. But, but lame people, he's, away, he's up the stairs. He's way up there. And I think, hey, if you really want to get involved, you should be down here. And sometimes you think, well, I, come to, I really want God to touch me. Well, what, what, are you sort of symbolically there, but you're actually not close enough to get really touched? Because it's for everybody else. I want to see how that, how that goes and, and how it happens. And, because if this man gets healed, 
he'll be unemployed. He can't be a beggar anymore. And if he's been there for 38 years, the rules are you couldn't beg until you're a man, until you're at least 12. So 38 plus 12 is 50. That is way past the average life expectancy of a man. At 50, he's going to have to go get a job. So Jesus said, are you sure you want to be healed? And he tapped this um, cloak on, which, which said that that was his job. But in fact, um, you remember Brian, Blind Bartimaeus? You heard that story? How he's blind. He said, Jesus, son of David, mercy on him. He comes out to him, and, and Jesus calls him. And it says the Blind Bartimaeus took his coat. This is his badge. This is his license to beg. He took it off, and he left it. And forgive me, if you're blind, and you put something really expensive down you're probably not going to find it again but he was saying i'm leaving this down because if i get to jesus i won't need to beg again ever the rest of my life blind bartimaeus was doing something phenomenally act of faith this man he's so he's so not his and so jesus actually says to him do you want to be healed now actually even with my scottish accent i think you could hear every word do you want to be healed healed. I mean, they'd understand that. It's monosyllabic. And in Greek, it's just as simple. It's almost the way they spoke to a child. Do you, do you want to be healed? It's like that. It's so simple. And the man's answer's going to be yes or no. It's, you can't say it's lovely. You, you can't put another conversation. It's what they call closed questions that counsellors would know. You don't, you don't ask closed questions. You ask, oh, but this is a closed question. So Jesus says, so do you want to be healed? And the man says, it's not my fault. It's not my fault I've not been healed. I've been here for 38 years. You know, as soon as the water's troubled, nobody comes to help me. I'm on my own. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get going. As soon as I get going, go, Lord, somebody else gets in in front of me. It's almost like in this church, you know, you're on your own. They say they love Jesus, but I tell you what, when you want to get down the work, you're on your own. Just, 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 they don't care about me. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd be going, wow, attitude problem. Does anybody else want to be healed? Maybe somebody with a nicer face on them. Somebody, somebody else want to be healed. Let's get, Jesus didn't even listen to what he says. Sit so up your bed and walk. Aren't you glad that sometimes Jesus ignores what you say? Because yeah. he heard the man's head, but he looked in his heart. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes the things I prayed for in my head, God said, oh, that won't be happening. Sometimes when we ask something for God for something, he didn't go no, he goes, No, no. Where do you get that from? Cheese is out your diet from now on, that's gone. That's just that's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. But say I, I don't want justice in my life. I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. And Jesus gives mercy and the man gets healed. Just some hearing for somebody else. And you could be like that too. You could thinking, actually, you know, I'm going to say something now. It's, it's not a prophecy, so don't claim it for yourself. I say, actually, when I was sitting there today, I thought, God's going to really touch every single person, a real anointing on them here this morning, except for two people. And you're sitting there thinking, I wonder who the other one is. Because I don't know about you, I've been in meetings where people prophesied, bang, bang, bang. Hi, David, bang, bang, bang. Excuse me. Excuse me, what happened to me? What's wrong with me? I think there's racial prejudice. You don't like Scottish people. I don't know what it is. And sometimes you think, I want to tell you, 
God is not looking for an excuse not to bless you. He's actually looking for an excuse to bless you. He said, I think I'll bless you today because it's Sunday, and I like Sunday. He's looking for an excuse to bless you. It's the exact opposite to the world, where the world finds an excuse not to give you your money, not to give you your rights, not to give you what you're entitled to. Jesus is looking for an excuse to give you what you're not entitled to, what you have no right to ask him for. He's looking for a reason, and the father looks at the son, and then he looks at you and said, you can have anything you want. Why? Because my son's paid for it. Then there's the third group that Jesus is trying to say, I want you to go a little bit stage further rather than have a, a, a scary noise or thinking this is all for somebody else to actually thinking, the Father's speaking to me. And when you, when you realize it's the Father speaking, you actually hear something different. I want to suggest to you that when, when you're a child of God, it turns his commandments into promises. Some Christians spend all their lives saying, you must do this, you must do this, must. and you do everything because you have to. That leaves, that leaves a really legalistic Christianity. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do that, do that, do that. And all your life is spent trying to not to do the wrong thing and trying to do the right thing. Whereas Jesus says, come follow me. If you follow Jesus, you'll do all the right things because you love him. And if Christianity is a love affair for you, you have a completely different style of life because now you're doing things not because you have to, because you want to. The story's told of a, a little boy in Japan. Um, I don't know what age he was, quite young. And both his parents died over 100 years ago, so the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, in those days, there's no sort of social security, no sort of social services, I don't know what you call them here, but people looked after you. If your family's supposed to be, you didn't have a family. And he ended up on the street by himself, little lad, but maybe 10 years old. And he's hungry, so he stole food. I don't know if it's ever right to steal food. I'd like to believe that if he lived in my street, he wouldn't have had to steal food. He'd have been at my table. We'd have looked after him. And I think one of the great things the church has done through the centuries is that we've looked after people that everyone else forgot. And I love it. In the churches I've got, I think we've got over 100 food banks. I mean, sort of, we look after people. We do all that sort of stuff. We have after-school calls for, for kids. They can't make sure they get, we buy breakfast for kids so they can... But this little boy, he didn't have any of that. So he used to steal things. And he found out he was quite good at stealing because if you, you know these gift mix, the things you go, discover your gift. If he had gone through that, he'd have come up thief. I thought, hey, I'm really good at stealing. That's the only thing I'm good at. But he was particularly good at visiting people's homes when they weren't in. He may be around your house now, but I know. So it's 100 years ago, so he's dead now. And then, so he ended up then keeping bad company because that was the only company who'd have him. And if you keep bad company long enough, you become bad company. But he became such bad company that bad company didn't want to keep company with him because he was such bad company. And he grew up to a big, strong, and not very nice person. But one day, a little old lady, and when I heard this story years ago, that this little old lady, in my mind, was in her 60s, but so am I now, so she must be about 100. <laughs> it's one of old pushes as you get older, isn't it? It must be really old. But she was out, and she met him in the street, and she'd given out tracts, and said, young man, you need to know Jesus. He said, what? He said, do you know there's a God in heaven who loves you? And he never heard that in his life. He never heard anybody loved him. He says, God in heaven loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. He says, all your sins, all the bad things. And she said, I think you've done a few. 
All the bad things you've done can be forgiven because Jesus died on the cross for you. You need to give your heart to Jesus. And he stood there, and the Holy Spirit just came on him. And he was convicted of his sin, and he wept, and he became a Christian, standing in the street. And then a little lady says, no, listen, it's Saturday today. Tomorrow you have to go to church. You're a Christian now. You understand? Your life's changed forever. You have to go to church. Start going to church. You go to church tomorrow. She says, do you know what a church is? You know, he, he'd been to church. But more at the point, he's been on the roof of some churches, collecting lead. But that was a different place. But he knew where there were churches. He said, okay, I'll go. I'll go. He said, you have to go. He said, I will. So she prayed for him. And next day, he, he, he finds a traditional church spire. Stained glass windows, the lot, fantastic. I'll go in there, that's the church. But as he's, as he's waiting to go in, he saw all the others turning up. And in those days, everyone wore shirts and ties, the women all dressed up, their hats so big you couldn't see beyond them. And stuff like that. I thought, oh no. And he's sort of cleaning his shoes on his trousers, thinking, oh, just, and he sneaked in the back. Because visitors, when they come to the church, it's a different experience if you've ever been in a church building before. You don't know the hymns, you don't know the songs, you don't know where you should sit, you don't know when you should stand. You so he sat at the back and he watched it. And he actually saw some people and thought, yeah, I recognize you. Oh, I've been in your house. Oh, there's this tiny thing thinking, suddenly thinking I'm a thief, they're going to find me out. And then he saw the chief of police came in. Thought, oh, no, she will know who I am. They're going to tell everyone I'm a thief and they'll, they'll throw me out and he's, and he's hiding there. He didn't want anyone to see him. But the service went on all right and they, they did their bits and if you've ever been in church and you sort of don't quite know what's going on, um, I know I was brought up in church all my life. I used to count the tiles on the ceiling and used have, we used to have curtains behind the pastor. My brother and I said, if you stare at it and let your eyes go, the, the pleats go and you can see that. We said, oh. And pastor used to say to my mum, your boys listen so hard. Listen to me. <laughs> I don't think she ever told him. No, but don't. We're just trying to let everything fuzz and just see. So, about. so he did all that sort of thing. And, and but he listened to the sermon and, and uh, looked at it. I guess all around, and they had stained glass windows. And in the olden days, they'd have stained glass windows because the, the vicar, the minister, would use that to tell the stories. And so it might take one a month because people couldn't read and they'd say, there's a story. It might be the prodigal son or there might be something else. And he'd use that and, and explain the story. But this, this one didn't. This one had something else. In fact, this had the Ten Commandments written all the way around the outside. And as he's as sitting there, our friend, the thief, the sun shone, and they felt warmth in the side of his face. And he distinctively turned towards the, the light and the heat. And one of the windows was really lit up in glorious technicolor. Can you guess which one of the ten commandments were lit up? Thou shalt not steal. How do you think he felt? How do you think? He went, oh. Do you know what you know he did? He went, wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. God said, I'll never steal again. I didn't know. He'd never heard of the Ten Commandments. He thought he stumbled across one of God's promises to him. I want to tell you, when you become a child of God, commandments become promises. Because instead of saying you've got to do this, he said, I'm going to help you to do this. You're going to be able to do all these things. And let me, let me read a couple to you. I'm going to read to you 
10 promises from, from the Old Testament. You might recognize them as being the Ten Commandments. Here's number one. You won't have any other gods before me. You won't. You won't. Of course I won't. We've met real God. Why don't we go out and get another one? No, God, you're always going to be first. Yeah, that's, that's easy. You won't make false images. Well, yeah, we've just been in church. We've just been in his presence. We've just been worshiping Jesus. I have no desire to go out and get a piece of wood and make an idol and bow down to it. No, I won't be doing that either. No, that's good. God says, so you won't be doing that. You will not, you won't take the name of the Lord in vain. No, I won't. Why? Because I love the name of the Lord. I love the name Jesus. Sometimes I just sit there and I just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It means Savior. I say, Jesus, Jesus. No, I won't take the name of the Lord in vain. No, I won't. That's the third promise. Fourth promise, you will have a Sabbath day. That means you'll learn intent to the rest, knowing that you're not God, but that he is. He can do all things. So, yeah, Lord, I, I'll, I'll trust you. You will honor your father and your mother. Now, that one's a bit harder sometimes. I once was speaking, and I, I can't remember the moment it was Father's Day or Mother's Day, and I was just saying, listen, you've got to honor your father and your mother. It didn't matter. I'm not, some parents are really not good, you know. Forgive me. Some parents didn't do a good job of it at all, but you still got to honor them. And this lady came up to me and said, it's all right for you. You don't know my parents. You wouldn't like my parents if you met them. And so she told me about them. And guess what? I didn't like them. They'd been horrible to her. They'd abused. And also, I couldn't go and tell that, but it was terrible. And I said, yeah, but I've got to tell you something. And hear this gently, because I'm not trivializing what's gone on in the past. I just said, you've got to hear this, that just because your parents may have been total failures, maybe, in the whole of parenting, doesn't mean you have to fail as a child. There's time to draw a line in history. There's time to say, maybe my parents weren't good. I would still seek to honor them because my children, they're going to grow up under my blessing. I'm changing it around. I'm turning it around. And I'm, I'm forgiving. Now, forgiving, some things are inexcusable, but nothing's unforgivable. So we're not excusing bad behavior, but we're forgiving it. And, and, and people answer to God for their own. But actually, you've got to realize that God wants us to get that point where we're actually honoring our parents. The next one, this, this is a comfortable one. The sixth one says, you won't murder anyone. That's a, that's a relief. Just say to your neighbor, you're not allowed, you won't be murdering anyone. But partly because you get rid of your anger, all that murderous anger, you, get, you learn to forgive people. You learn to let go of it and realize I, I, I love much because I've been forgiven much. And I've been forgiven so much, I'm not going to hold out against other people. I'm, I'm here by grace. You won't go and commit adultery. Why? Because I'm going to put love between a man and his wife. I'm sure you have the same struggles as we have. We have to sort of fight a lot about what marriage is and, and uh, we declare things. And often, you know, I'm, I'm making the national declarations about things, saying that... Um, in Elon, we believe marriage is between one man and one woman. That's what Christian marriage is. That's what it is. That's what biblical marriage is. But actually, it's not technically right because that's Christian marriage. It's one man, one woman in covenant with their God. 
And that's what makes our marriage different. In fact, that's what makes it work, really, is that we're one man and one. So, so God is in your marriage. You won't go off and commit adultery. Why? Because he will make you faithful. So you won't, you won't steal. Why will you steal? Because I'll give you everything you need. I'm the Lord, your provider, Jehovah Jireh. Can you see where I'm going with this? This is the Ten Commandments, but suddenly the Ten Promises. You won't steal. You won't bear false witness. You won't go telling lies. Why? Because Jesus lives inside you, and Jesus is the truth. And the truth sets you free. Now, truth isn't just factual. Facts isn't truth. Truth is something that sets you free. Here's the truth. It's true that I am a miserable sinner who deserves to be cut off from God for all eternity. It's true. But as my mother taught me, and my mum, I always think there's the Bible and then there's my mum. She said, half a truth is a whole lie. So if I tell you half a truth and you go away believing something that's not quite true, I've lied to you. I've not said anything that wasn't true, but I've not told the truth yet. So half, half a truth is a whole lie. Because here's half a truth. I am a wicked, miserable sinner who deserves to be cut off from God for all eternity. That's half a truth. Who Jesus Christ died for on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven, I might be reconciled to the Father, robed in a robe of righteousness, anointed with His Spirit, and live eternity in His presence forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the truth. And the truth sets you free. So we're not just telling true facts. We're bringing truth. Sometimes when you say something, just because it's factual doesn't mean you're moving the truth yet. And the last one he says is, um, you won't covet. You won't be jealous of what everyone else has got. Why? Because I'm going to so bless you that people will be jealous of you. People will see the blessing of God on your life. So let me pull it together and finish off and saying, I don't know where you are. Bless you. Most, I don't think I've met any of you before. And so in that sense, I don't know where you are on the journey. God might still be a scary voice to you, but you're interested in knowing what he's saying. You might think, I'm sort of interested. Maybe you're with a friend or family. I was brought up in church. I get saved lots of times. Every time they gave out a lot of booklet for getting saved as a kid, I got one. But then I've, I get the point, like today, I'm going to make that decision for myself. But you transfer into scary voice, somebody else to God is my father now. I'm not here to obey a whole lot of rules. I'm here because I want to bring a spouse to his face. I'll serve him because I love him.